Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. One of the greatest joys of being a, a Christian is that we have direct access into the presence of God. Um, when we are in the presence of God, there is excitement, there is joy, uh, there is happiness as we discover who God is and what He has done, as we read His Word and the truths of God come alive to us. When we recognize who God is, there is a sweet fellowship. There is sweet fellowship that produces an overflowing love and uh, joy that comes from the Lord. When we are in the presence of the Lord, our fullest and our most important needs are fully satisfied in Christ. Our needs to be with him in his presence, as was our design in creation. You see, God's design for us as Christians is that we enjoy him. We enjoy his presence. We enjoy fellowship and communion with him. Because that is what our purpose in creation was for. For God to fellowship, for us to fellowship with God and to know him. You know, we need to enjoy God's presence both in an individual sense, in our individual lives, but most also in a corporate sense as a church, which is why we gather every Sunday, week in, week out, to worship God. We don't do it out ritual. We come to meet with God in His presence as His people to worship Him. Because that is our chief purpose in life. The Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us that the chief end of man is to not just glorify God, but to fully enjoy him forever. To fully enjoy him forever. Psalm 16, 11, we read that this morning, says that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. You see, even though there is joy when we come into the presence of the Lord, even though there is uh, a satisfaction of our soul when we come to the presence of the Lord, even though there is Uh, This awesomeness of who God is as we see his sovereignty, as we see his justice, as we see his righteousness, as we see his love, mercy, as we see the character of God and we are captivated by it and our hearts are thrilled by it. And while all these things are true, the reality is that we as Christians struggle to come to the presence of God. We know the truths about what it's like to be in the presence of God, yet we struggle to come to the presence of God. It's not just, uh, you know, few people, but Christianity as a whole does not seek to come to the presence of a God in so many ways. And a lot of the churches, a lot of the members, a lot of the Christians who name the name of Christ struggle in this way to come to the presence of God. We acknowledge with our lips who God is, but in the way that we live, we struggle to come to Him. The busyness of life, harmless entertainment, hobbies, personal sin, and many other reasons prevent us from coming to the presence of God. And even when we come to the presence of God, our Bible reading doesn't make any sense. We don't seem to be getting anything out of the passage. Our prayer lives turn into a repetition of the same words and phrases that we say day in, day out. Our prayer lives don't resemble any form of communion and fellowship and friendship that we have with God. For many Christians, the attendance on a Sunday morning simply is a habitual time of social gathering with people that have shared moral values or religious beliefs. A Sunday morning gathering has nothing to do with us meeting with God 
and his children and joyfully worshiping him together as his people. Our relationship with fellow Christians becomes shallow and void of any spiritual encouragement and fellowship. If you're here this morning and this is you, then I hope to encourage you. I hope to encourage you to run to Christ today because there is hope in him. If you're a Christian and your obedience seems to be like a chore, it's a drudgery that it's, it's just, it's a void. There's a void in your obedience to the Lord. There's a void in your joy for the Lord. Then I hope to encourage you today to seek God's presence and the joy that comes from it as we look at Psalm 84. Now I'll just read this psalm for us. I'll be reading from the ESV. It reads, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one of them, each one appears before God in Zion. Verse 8. O Lord, of, o Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Before we continue, let's look to the Lord in the word of prayer. Father, we thank you once again for this uh, privilege and this opportunity to be able to come into your presence and come before your word and to, and to really um, seek your face and to truly understand and to learn what it is that you are revealing to us today. Lord, we uh, think about uh, the other churches that are around us that are proclaiming your word, that are worshiping your people. We pray for the churches in Melbourne. We pray for the churches in, uh, across the country, across the globe, that come this Lord's Day to worship you. And to think that one day we will all be together in heaven, your children, with one voice, thundering out your praises, thundering out the glory and honor that you deserve with the voices that you give us in your presence, where we will meet you face to face. And Lord, till that day comes, we have ask that you would be with us, you would strengthen us, and you would guide us. Lord, even as I stand before you, your word and, and I proclaim your word, I recognize, Lord, that I'm a man who is weak. I'm a man who is fallen many times in this past week, Lord. Even as I think about this passage that I'm preaching through and recognize my own sinfulness in that, Lord, we, I thank you, Lord, for the fact that even despite my weakness and my sinfulness, that you offer grace, you offer forgiveness, you offer restoration, that uh, even in our weakness, even in our failings, that you still gently and sweetly are calling us to your presence to be with you and to love you and to long for you and to worship you. Mm -hmm. 
And so we thank you for that hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that we would run to Jesus even as we see who you are as you've revealed yourself in your word. And so we ask that you would speak to us in a special way. Lord, so we thank you once again and we give you all the praise, glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. So the heart of the psalm is really described as a longing for the presence of the Lord. And, and then we see out of that longing for the presence of the Lord, we see the blessedness that comes out of it. He begins in verse 1 by saying, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now the word lovely here can be translated as um, beloved. It's not used in the way that we use it in our current day and age. Uh, it, is, it has a lot more deeper meaning. It means beloved. It, it carries the idea of uh, yearning. It carries the idea of really a strong desire for something or someone. And so the psalmist's heart is filled with endearment. He's filled with affections as he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. He's beholding the beauty. He's beholding the glory of God in his dwelling place. And he's really uh, enthralled by it. He's really excited about it. He's really longing for it. Now the term dwelling place of God is repeated eight times in the psalm using different words. So we, when we see the words like courts of the Lord, uh, the home or altars or house or Zion. Now all these words have, their, words have their own nuances in how they are used, but they essentially talk about the same thing, the place where God dwells, the, way, the place where the presence of God dwells. You see, during the time of David, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. We read in Exodus 25, uh, 21 to 22, and, it's, uh, and it says this, And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony and I will, that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give in commandment, for the people of Israel. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God dwelt uh, in the tabernacle, um, is where God communed with man. This is where God met man. This is where the invisible God became visible. This is where God dwelt with man on earth. And it is from here from this Ark of the Covenant where God's glory resided, that God's glory then um, filled the temple, filled the tabernacle, filled the courts of the Lord, filled everything that we talked about in the house, as, a house, as a dwelling place of God over here. And so Psalmist, recognizing this, or the, the author of this Psalm recognizes that no, the dwelling place of God is so precious because that is where God meets with man, visibly on this earth. And that is lovely, that is beautiful, that is something that he longs for, that is an endearment that he has for this place. Now, the term Lord of hosts is also repeated throughout the psalm and it refers to the God being the leaders of the armies of heaven. Now it's really interesting that uh, this term doesn't appear until uh, uh, the book of 1 Samuel, uh, where we see it in association with the Ark of the Covenant. For example, in 1 Samuel 4, verse 4, it says, So the people sent to Shiloh, which is where the Ark of the Covenant normally resided, and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And we see in many other passages, the Lord of hosts is a term that is used in association with the presence of God. It referred to 
the presence of God that resided with his people, that offered protection, that offered comfort. And so what does the psalmist um, uh, do when he uh, is um, looking at God's dwelling place? He says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for, the joy to the li- sing for joy to the living God. What the psalmist saying is here, saying here is that the soul, which is his entire being, the soul of a person in the Bible is described in many ways. In this particular case, it's talking about the entire being of a person is drawn to the loveliness, the beauty, and the majesty of God. And he can't refrain from worshipping God. And as a result, he rejoices. He sings for joy to the Lord. What an amazing example for us to see. uh, As we see the example of someone who truly sees God for who he is, and he longs for God's presence. You see, we were creatures that were created for worship. In, In God's design of man, Uh, we know that man was created to glorify God. How do we do that? As we worship him, as we reflect his glory, we worship God. And we were created as creatures of worship. And so when our hearts are drawn to the loveliness and the beauty of God and his presence and his character and who he is as a Lord of hosts, it causes us to worship him. You see, coming forward to the tabernacle and the temple, you know, even as you think about God's presence, God's presence was not fully accessible by all people. Once a year, the high priest would enter into the holiest of holies and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And even that glimpse of the glory of God is what is drawing the psalmist's heart to the Lord. But as we come to the New Testament, John 1 reminds us that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Because in creation, God's design was always to dwell with his people. God's God's design in creation in Adam and Eve was that he would dwell and he would fellowship with his people. But sin came and changed all of that. And because of man's sin, there is no way that we could enter into the presence of God but through Jesus Christ. Where God came in the form of a man and dwelt among his people and lived among his people. I didn't stop there. Jesus died on that cross as we remembered in communion in this whole service. He died on the cross and he rose again and defeated death. And because of Jesus Christ, we now have access into the presence of God as we read this morning. And it doesn't stop there as well. We have God in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit that dwells in us in 1 Corinthians 6.19. In Colossians 1.27, it talks about Christ dwelling in us. And in 1 John 4.15, it talks about God dwelling in us. And further in Ephesians 2, it talks about God dwelling in his church. You see, the whole transition has happened from where we see what this author is seeing about the dwelling place of God to where we are right now. Where we are a much more privileged people We are a much more privileged people in that we have access into the very holiest of holies, to the very holiest of the presence of God. And that we can come without fear. We can come with boldness. We can come with confidence. And we can gaze upon him. And we can see his glory. We can see his majesty. And how much more, us being privileged people, should our hearts be drawn in worship and adoration? 
If you're here this morning and your soul does not long for God in this way, or perhaps you do not see God's presence or you don't experience the joy of being in God's presence, or perhaps you can't relate to the heart of this psalmist here, of rejoicing in God's presence, then I would encourage you to hold on to the truths of Scripture and ask God to reveal Himself to you through His Word. Matthew 7 um, teaches us that if we ask, it will be given. James 4 teaches that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to you. You see, we don't receive because we don't ask. When we struggle to come to the presence of the Lord, we need to ask God for help. We need to run to Him. We need to turn to Him. And if you're here this morning and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you have no longing for God's presence, then this also comes with a warning because you need to examine yourselves and see whether you're truly in the faith. So for this morning, I've titled the psalm, uh, and that's just the theme of this whole psalm. So for this morning, I've titled the psalm as a longing for the presence of God, and I've divided this into three sections. And it points to different ways in which a person who longs for God's presence is blessed. A person who longs to be in the presence of God, to look at Him, to gaze at Him, to see who He is, is truly blessed. We see three things. A person is blessed when he dwells in the presence of God. A person is blessed or there's blessedness when a person relies on God's strength. And there's blessedness when we trust in the Lord. So let's look at our first point, the blessedness of dwelling in God's presence. Verse 3 and 4, he says, Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at her altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now your Bibles will have, and the, the way I've divided this section is just according to how the psalm flows. In your Bibles you'll see the, uh, the word Selah written um, uh, at um, certain intervals. And there's debate about what the exact meaning of this word is, but one thing is certain, it, it refers to a break in, in the song. It refers to a break in the poem or uh, a, a refrain, so as to speak. Um, and so um, I've, I've basically categorized this based on um, how the breaks in the passage are. So he says, even the sparrow finds a home and the solo a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Now, if you know anything about uh, what the Bible teaches about a sparrow or a swallow, um, a sparrow is a bird that is known to be flitting or that is a bird that is restless. Um, yeah, a sparrow is a bird, if you see on the street, that it keeps moving, fluttering around, then move to the next spot, fluttering around, move to the next spot. It just doesn't stop. It just keeps going with no aim. It just, just randomly moves about. And the sparrow represents weaknesses and it represents restlessness. Similarly, the swallow in the Bible also references a bird that keeps flying. So a swallow is a bird that is a migratory bird that keeps flying across long distances during winter, across continents and comes back during spring. And the psalmist here is reminding us that the wandering sparrow and the swallow can find a home and a nest in the dwelling place of God. Now there is no spiritual value that is attributed to the sparrow or the swallow because they're just birds uh, of creation. But what the psalmist is trying to point out here is that even if they can find a home and nest in God's presence, then how much more should the man, should man who's made in the image of God um, find a home in God's presence? 
long, why sh- how much more should we long for God's presence? How much more can we enter into God's presence? We are blessed when we are in the presence of God because our weak, wandering and restless hearts find rest in the presence of God. We are blessed in the presence of God because our deepest needs are satisfied. Even in our weakness, God invites us into a presence so that we can enjoy Him and enjoy His care and His love for us. Moving on, He says, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And this is the second reality or the blessedness of being in the presence of God. The psalmist here is reminded that this relationship with God is personal. That the Lord of hosts, Yahweh the great I am, who is the fierce Lord of the hosts of the armies, has a personal relationship as my King and my God. That the great I am would choose to have a relationship with his people. What a blessing it is to know that God, who is so far above, who is so far removed from us, who is nothing like us, would call us his own and to and whom we can call us my king and my God. You see, it is on the basis of this personal relationship that we have access into the presence of God. Now, while the author recognizes the relationship with God is personal, he also recognizes that God is still king and God is still God. You know, oftentimes we can treat our access into God's presence lightly without really understanding the seriousness of and the reverence of coming into the presence of God. Why is it important that we recognize God for who it is, even though He is personal to us, He's still our King and He's our God. And it's important that we recognize this character and nature of God. Because if we don't, then there is no reason for us to come into God's presence. If God is not our King and He just ceases to be our God, and it's simply someone from whom we can get benefits out of our personal relationship, then there is no need for us to come into our presence to fellowship with Him, to be in His presence, to, to, to gaze at Him, to enjoy Him. Hebrews 12.28 reminds us, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, when we don't have reverence and fear for God, We won't see the need to come to him. We won't be grateful for what has been done on the cross for us. And we become self-centered and selfish. And we fail to treat God as our God and we fail to treat him as our king. Moving on to the section in verse 4, the psalmist describes to us the response that being in the presence of God produces. He says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing praises. This means that those who dwell in the presence of God are always praising God. One commentator says, They fail to praise the Lord who wander far from Him, but those who dwell in Him him are always magnifying Him. Meaning that when we dwell in the presence of God, it always, always produces a response of praise and worship to God. When was the last time that you were in the presence of God and you were not moved, you were not changed by what you understood and what you read and what you meditated about God? 
When was the last time you were in the presence of God and that you failed to really respond to what you knew about God in praise and worship and adoration? Being in the presence of God always produces a response of worship. As Christians, our supreme duty is to enjoy God. We read again um, this morning that in Psalm 16:11, where David says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you're here this morning and have backslidden away from God, He's still patient and He's still gently inviting you into His presence. We enjoy God when we read His Word and meditate on the truths that God's Word reveals about Him. We enjoy God when we shut out the business of life and instead allow the truths of God to sink deep into our hearts and to impact our thinking and the way that we live. We enjoy God when we seek God in prayer that overflows with praise and worship and adoration of who God is. And we enjoy fellowship with God when we rely on Him for every single need of ours in prayer. We also enjoy communion with God as we enjoy the fellowship with one another as we spend time together in the word and in prayer and in fellowship. And the more we spend time in the presence of God, the more our longing for him grows, the more our desire for him grows, the more our obedience for him grows. So our first point is that the blessedness of being in God's house means that our wandering hearts can find rest. Our wandering hearts can be at home in God's presence. And the blessedness of being in God's house means that we can have a personal relationship with our God and our King. And it also means that when we are in the presence of God, that we can rejoice in Him, that we can worship Him, we can adore Him. Moving on to our second point, we see the blessedness of relying on God's strength. And we see that in verse 5 to 8. Look at verse 5, he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now as opposed to those that, um, in that, uh, well, it was written by sons of Korah who were gatekeepers in the house of God, so likely they were dwelling in the temple. But as opposed to those that dwelt in the presence of God, or this is talking about those that are on their way to the tabernacle, on their way to the presence of God. In 2 Samuel 6.16, we see that the ark was moved to Zion, which is the city of David. And since the ark symbolized the presence of God, it was only natural that people made their way to Zion to worship God. Now this journey to Zion from the rest of Israel was not an easy journey. It was a journey that took many days. It was a journey that was filled with um, uh, terrible weather, uh, dry heat, uh, desert, uh, filled with wild animals, robbers, uh, filled with a lack of um, water. It was a very dangerous journey to go, uh, and, and the Jews did this three times a year to go and to worship God. And the only thing that kept them going is that their hearts and their eyes were on the highways to Zion. They had a longing for Zion, and their only thought was to keep going along the highways of Zion, as he says. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. You see, what the psalmist is saying here is that the pilgrims who are making their way, their journey to the presence of God in Zion, 
are doing that only on the basis of their strength that they are relying on God. Verse 6 tells us that this ble- the outcome of what relying on God's strength looks like as they're traveling to Zion. He says, as they go to the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Now the valley of Baca means a valley of weeping. Now it's not exactly clear if this is an actual place or... Um, but one thing is very clear that this represents um, suffering, this represents weeping, this represent, represents sorrow and pain and anguish. And what the psalmist says is that they turn the valley of Baca into a place of springs. You see, in the arid desert, water was a precious commodity. And a spring was a sign of life. And a spring was a sign of blessing for everyone who lived near it or everyone who came across it. Like I said, this journey was a treacherous journey and finding water was very critical. Now, there may be symbolisms in here, but what is very clear is that those who are relying on the strength of God on their way to Zion make wherever they go a blessing to those around them. That there is life where those who rely on God go. The life of God because they're relying on God's strength. You see, in one sense, we have full access into the presence of God. But in another sense, we are also pilgrims who are traveling on our way to be with Jesus. You know, we, we live by faith, not by sight. But there is the day coming when we will be in the presence of Jesus, where we will behold him physically, face to face, where we will touch him and we will worship him. And that's, a, that's the day that we can look forward to. Just like these pilgrims who are on their way to Zion are looking forward to uh, the time when they will worship God at the tabernacle. We can look forward to the day that we will be with King Jesus where we will worship him. Until that day happens, what we really are are pilgrims on this earth. We are just traveling through the desert on our way to glory. And our life and this life is filled with pain and sorrow and suffering and uh, persecution. But what the psalmist reminds us is that in the way that we live, in the strength of God that we rely on, our life is meant to be a reflection of the very life of God and therefore a blessing to those around us. The psalm reminds us that we need to fix our final goal, uh, keep our eyes fixed on the final goal instead of our suffering. Romans 8, 18 reminds us that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or not worth compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, when we get to heaven, the joys of being in the presence of Jesus Christ is worth all the suffering that we endure for Christ in this life. In the same way that a mother gives birth to a newborn baby and quickly forgets the pain of labor when she sees her child. The psalmist adds further in um, verse 6 and says, the early rain also covers it with pools. In Deuteronomy 11, God made a promise to the children of Israel that if they obeyed him, he would bless them. And he would bless this dry and arid desert land with rains. And that was God's covenant promise, that he would give them an early rain 
so that they could harvest, they could um, plant their crops, and he would give them a lat- later rain so that their crops would flourish and grow. You see, the land of Israel was absolutely dependent on God for rain that was required to flourish as a nation. And so when the psalmist is talking about the early rain here, uh, it's referring to the providence of God for his people. Providence of God for his covenant people, whereby which um, even as we are a blessing, God does not forsake us. In his strength, he provides us. He provides us with what we need. And the pools that cover it, the early rain, the pools that cover it, was a source of blessing for these pilgrims. In the same way, God provides for us, for those of us that rely on his strength. And verse 7, he says, And they go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. Meaning that those who are relying on the strength of God are continually renewed day by day by day until they're finally with home, with, with God in, at home. And because of this, we can rely on Christ and run the race before us. So really what the psalmist is trying to say in here is that we need to be relying on the strength of God. Because we are sojourners in this land, we are pilgrims in this land on our way to heaven to be with King Jesus. And in this life, there's difficulties, there's trials, there's suffering, there's pain. But as we rely on him, as we gain from his strength, we become a blessing to those around us. And a way in which God strengthens us is his provision and his care for his people. So there is blessedness as we trust in the strength of God, as we long for his presence. For our last point, we see the blessedness of trusting in God. We see what becomes, uh, what happens when we trust in who God is and his promises. And the psalm ends with a statement like this. He says in the last verse, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, O Lord of hosts. So what does this trusting look like? Firstly, we see in verse 9, that this trusting um, looks like uh, placing our faith, our trust in God being our sun and our shield. In verse 9 he says, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. And in verse 11 he also says that again, The Lord God is a sun and shield. Now broadly speaking, the sun just references the care and the benevolence that God had for his people. And the shield represented the protection that God has for his people throughout the Psalms. And verse 10 also reveals to us that um, there are tens of wickedness which suggests that uh, this is talking about God's protection of his people from the world and the influences of the world as they journey towards God's presence. You see, we live in a world that was filled with evil. In fact, Ephesians 6 reminds us that we are at war against evil powers. And that we can have every confidence that God is a sun and shield that guards and protects us and guides us in our pilgrim journey. You see, instead of relying on our own strength and our own wisdom, we can trust in God being our sun and shield, in that he will guide us, he will lead us, he will protect us. That we can trust in him and not ourselves. We can have confidence that he will show his favor upon us in leading us and in guiding us. You see what it says in verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
You see, God's favor upon us is seen in his goodness and his kindness towards us. It's seen the fact that he does what is good for us. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Here we see God's goodness um, shown towards those that trust in him in the same way that a father gives his children good gifts. God will give what is good for those that trust in him and walk uprightly. We know from Romans 8.28 that God works all things for our good. But somehow when we live our life, we struggle to actually trust in the goodness of God. Because somehow we have taught ourselves that if something bad happens in our life, that is God not being good. But scripture is very clear that even what we perceive as bad happening in our lives is actually for our own good. If you think about it, Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins. The Father sent his only begotten Son to die for sinners like you and me. It was not bad, it was good. It was for our good. And that's because God is good that he would crush his only Son in the place that you and I deserve to be crushed at. You see, there is no circumstance in our life that can never be the goodness of God. Every single circumstance in our life that we have is the reflection of the goodness of God. Whether we see it or not, or whether we acknowledge it or not. Even if we were to measure our own good works, and if God were to treat us according to our good works, I don't think we'd stand a chance. We deserve judgment and punishment and condemnation, just like the wicked. And if you take a good measure of our own lives, day in, day out, how many times we fail. And if we were to measure ourselves by the standard of God, we deserve nothing but judgment, punishment, and condemnation. We deserve what should have been coming to us, if not for Jesus Christ. You see, as we journey in this, pil- this pilgrim journey that we, li- we, we um, uh, take to God's presence to be with him one day. Um, we can trust in the goodness of God, that he is doing all things for our good, and that no good would he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And that is the confidence that we can have in him. Finally, the one who trusts in God is marked by a desire to spend time in God's presence. Look what he says in verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This verse resonates with the first verse of the psalm and the whole theme of this whole psalm and that is to dwell, the joy of dwelling in the presence of God. He says that one day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand days in the t- anywhere else in the tents of wickedness. This stands as a warning for us to um, take back with us that we are not to be in the tents of wickedness. We are to be in the house of the Lord. We are to be in the courts of the Lord. We are to be in the presence of the Lord. Because it is in the presence of the Lord that we find strength and we find trust in Him as we continue this pilgrim way. And the courts and the, the, the tents of wickedness is a means of distraction that draws us away from the presence of the Lord. And His desire and His longing is to be in the house of the Lord. To be in God's presence. You know, with our lips, we can acknowledge that for a day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
But how does it look like when we live? If we were to take a deep examination of our hearts, can we say that truly our desire is to spend our days in the house of the Lord, to spend our days in the presence of the Lord? You see, it's not to say that we don't live in this world and we're completely isolated from the world. That's not what he's saying. To dwell in the tents of wickedness is to take part in the, in the acts of wickedness, to take part in the things of this world, to live as our hope is in this world and not on the journey that is before us towards Zion. To dwell in the tents of wickedness means that we are considering that the tents of wickedness that is a temporary pleasure of this world is our home and not the journey that we are on towards Zion. Do we long for God to a point that we are willing to abandon every thing and every hope that we have in the things of this world? As we come to the end of this passage, Hebrews 10, uh, 19 to 25, and this is the passage that we read this morning, reminds us again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, as I've said, as I said earlier, in creation, God's design was for his people to dwell with him in his presence in sweet fellowship and communion with him. But because of sin, we were completely separated from God. We had no access into his presence. We were children of wrath. We were rebellious against God. But God did not leave us there. Um, You see, even God calls a nation to himself and God dwells among them in the tabernacle and in the temple. And what do you see, the outcome of that? They fail. They fail over and over and over and over and over again. And we see God ceasing to commune with his people until we see Jesus Christ, where God revealed himself, his presence on this earth in the form of a man, that he would come and condescend himself to come to this earth, to live as a man, to live among men, to experience what sin, the effects of sin around him pain and suffering and hunger and thirst, to see the wickedness of men around him, the very creatures that he created who would turn against him, who would hate him and spit on him and beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head and would crucify him on that cross. But because of what Jesus has done, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we now have confidence to enter into the holiest of holies. We now have confidence to enter into the presence of God. The curtain has been torn, as as we see in verse 20 of Hebrews 10. Um, By the new and living way, he opened us through the curtain that is through his flesh, where the curtain is torn in two, and we now have access into the holiest of holies. May we never take this access 
us granted. May we never abuse the privilege that we have to enter into God's presence. We need to come with fear and reverence and awe of who God is. We need to come at the same time with boldness and confidence and assurance because of what Jesus has done. And verse 23 reminds us, let us hold fast the confession of our confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised his faithful because that is what our Christian journey is to hold fast the confession of our faith and continue this journey as we continue towards heaven as we continue towards the final day when we will be with the presence in the presence of God uh, physically fellowshipping and worshipping our King and our Lord and our Savior verse 25 also reminds us that we do this not just individually but also by encouraging one another more as you see the day drawing near that as we continue on and you see this whole psalm as he talks about the pilgrims he's not talking about a single person he's talking about they he's talking about in a plural sense that this life that we live is lived together as God's people and this is why we need one another this is why God has designed and he is he's given us the church See, God's design was for us to enjoy his presence and to, and to have a joy that comes from knowing him and an overflowing love for him that extends to others. Until the day comes when we, are, we will be in his presence, we are called to live in the light of the strength and the favor and the blessing that comes from God, knowing that as we put our strength in him, as we trust in him, that he will carry us through. If you're here this morning and you do not know this Jesus, then you do not truly know what satisfaction is, what true satisfaction is. You may be pursuing the things of this world and the pleasures of this world, but they don't satisfy you. They'll give you temporary satisfaction and then you'll be longing for more. You see, the world and the wickedness that we see in the world around us is getting worse by the day because man goes from one thing to satisfy his soul to the next thing to satisfy his soul and is never satisfied. But true satisfaction is found in the presence of God. We've been talking about the gospel and what Jesus has done this morning over and over again. If you're here this morning and you want to know more about uh, what it means to have uh, access into the presence of God, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to have the privilege of knowing God, please come speak to me or one of the members of this church and we'd love to tell you more about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this uh, um, passage. We thank you for your word. Lord, we confess, Lord, that the desire that uh, this psalmist is portraying in this passage um, is, is amazing, Lord. And, and we confess, Lord, that many of us don't desire you this way. And that we have allowed bad habits, we have allowed distractions, our phones, our mindless entertainment to cloud our thinking and our, uh, and our taste for heaven's joys have been diminished because of disciplines that are of no profit to us spiritually. And Lord, there are those among us perhaps that are struggling as we come into your presence to read your word. There are those among us that are struggling as we come into your presence where we don't know to pray anything other than the repetitious prayer that we've been praying all our lives. 
And Lord, as we read your word, there is no joy as we see you and your character and your goodness. Some of us are, uh, are numb to the truths of scripture. And because of which we don't see you as we ought to. And because of which our life of worship is a mere ritual. Our attendance on a Sunday morning is a mere ritual and singing of songs is a mere, mere ritual. There is no overflowing joy that comes out of knowing who you are. Lord, we confess, Lord, that each one of us struggle in some of these areas in, in some ways. And we realize that we are, while we're on this earth that we will never fully be uh, perfect, but recognizing that you call us to live this way, to long for your presence, to long for, to be with you. And we pray that you would do a work through your spirit in our hearts, in drawing us to yourself. Even as we read your word this week, we pray, Lord, that we would see glimpses of your, your character. We would see glimpses of your nature. We would see glimpses of what you have done for your people. And that it would cause us, as we think about it, to, as, that your spirit, spirit would stir up our hearts, that it would sink deep inside our hearts. That our hearts would respond to you with thankfulness, with gratefulness, with yearning. And that it would produce a joy in our hearts that would give us a renewed taste for heaven's joys. That would cause us to want to run to you more and more and more. That would drive us deeper into the glories of Calvary. And so we pray that even this week that you would continue to do that work in us, Lord. We pray for those among us that are lost, that, are, that again, perhaps have grown up in church and are going through, the, um, going through just the motions of life and motions of being like a Christian, Lord, where there's the external form and the external shell of Christianity, but deep down inside, it's all brokenness and there's emptiness and there's a void. We pray that you would convict the people that are uh, deceived in their hearts, that are deceived of their own faith, that they would be drawn to you as well, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, once again for your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy, without which we would have no hope, without which our Christian life would just be miserable. And so we cling to the cross and we pray that you would strengthen us and yet you would keep us on our journey home till we reach heaven to be with you. So we give you all the praise, glory, honor, and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray.